us this morning about the relationship between worship and witness. The relationship between worship and witness. This is one of the most precious passages in the Bible. And the only comparable moment of supernatural revelation in the gospel is before Jesus' ministry begins at his baptism when the opening of heaven, the visible descent of the spirit in the form of a dove and the voice from heaven create a similarly numinous atmosphere and the disciples then and in this moment in chapter 17 are given a foretaste of glory divine. Peter, James, and John were allowed to witness a little bit of what we will see a whole lot of when we get to heaven. It is clear that Jesus took them up the mountain in order for them to have this experience which he intends them to remember to enhance their Christological understanding so they may grasp the eschatological timetable. This is then an experience of the disciples rather than an experience of Jesus because the whole narrative is narrated from their point of view. The Bible says he brought them to the mountain. He was transfigured before them. They appeared unto them. While he yet spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them. When they were afraid, he touched them. Everything in the narrative is about Jesus. Not, they were not following Jesus. Jesus brought them to the mountain to give them this experience. And brothers and sisters, Jesus has, has brought us to Lily Grove this morning not for us to turn this, this, this mission into a monument, but after you hear the gospel, go out of here and do what you heard me say. They were given an honor that none of them got over as long as they lived. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Peter writes for the entire group. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power 
and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. And because, brothers and sisters, of Peter's testimony, I am shouting this morning because since I have no trouble believing in the virgin birth, since I have no trouble believing in his vicarious death, since I have no trouble believing in his victorious resurrection, I also believe that someday he will visibly return. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. I wish I had a Bible reader. Nor has it entered the hearts of men the good things that God has in store for them that love him. Behold, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not appear what we shall be. But we know that when he comes, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I understood like a child. I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, when I grew up in my faith, I put away childish things. Here it is. For we see now through a glass darkly. But then face to face, I will know even as also I am known. There are some places in the scriptures, Lily Grove, that are so memorable and so momentous that if God gave me the privilege I would love to visit for the enhancement and the enthrallment of my own spiritual growth. There are some places in the Bible I wish I could go and get some souvenirs. Oh, I wish I could get my hands on those kitchen utensils that Sarah used when she cooked a meal for those visitors who came to talk to Father Abraham. I wish I could get my hands on that rod that, that Moses stretched out and the Red Sea opened six miles wide. I wish I could find one or two of those stones that David had when he failed the giant Goliath. That would be something to put on my mantle and talk about. I wish I had a cup of manna that rained down every morning and it was sweet to the taste so that they'd never tasted anything like it and they called it manna, which means, what is this? Uh, I wish I could get my hand on that wash basin that Pilate called for when he wanted to wash his hands because he said, I find no fault in him. I wish I could have been around when Jesus turned water into wine. Or at 4 o'clock in the morning when he came walking on the water. I wish I could have been in the room when he took Jairus' daughter by the hand 
and called her by her name and she came back to life again. I really wish I was on the Emmaus road when the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us while the man of God spoke with us and talked with us by the way. But I really wish I could have been on the mountain of transfiguration because there I would have heard a conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. The law and the prophecy talking to the law and the prophecy. Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about Jesus. I, I, I want you to see in the text. I, I want you to see in the text in verse 2, it talks about his glory. The Bible tells us in verse 2, that Jesus was transfigured. Transfigured. You, you, you can tell from reading the text that, that Matthew struggles for words to depict the glory of the Son of God because all he can say is, it was like. It, it's, his clothes were so brilliant. His face was so effulgent. They had never seen anything like it. So all Matthew could say was, it was like. Kind of like what John said in the Revelation. His hair was like lamb's wool. His eyes were like flames of fire. His legs were like marble stone. His feet were like polished brass as though they had burned in a fiery furnace. It, it, it's so beyond what could be described, all Matthew could say was, it was like. He struggles for words because Jesus' true incarnate glory shines through his humanity. Transfiguration in the Greek gives us our English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a compound word. Meta meaning to change and morph meaning form. Therefore a metamorphosis is a change of form or a change of appearance. The glory from the beginning which was concealed was for a moment revealed. Let me see if I can get this over to you. This is not the first time Jesus is metamorphed. This is not the first time a metamorphosis has taken place. When he was born, it was a metamorphosis because at his birth, the baby is older than the mother. When he is born, all of heaven's fame has to fit in an earthly frame. Somebody should have shouted right there. I worked on that all night. All of heaven's fame fit in a little girl's frame. God became an embryo. God gestated in a womb. 
God let himself be born. And when Jesus was born, that's not when Jesus began. Because John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word... I wish I had somebody. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, but at the same time unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's a bright and the morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He did not become that in Bethlehem. He was that in eternity past. Um, listen, listen. I've, I've never seen his back like Moses did one day. You remember Moses said, I want to see your face. And God said, no man can look on me and live. I need some Bible readers right here. He said, I'll tell you what I will do for you. Get in those rocks over there. And I'm going to put my hand over the opening of those rocks. And when I pass by, my glory. And the Bible says, Moses saw God's hind parts. He saw the back of God and his face was so shiny when he came down he had to put a veil on. Now if he had to put a veil on and he saw God's back, what must God's face look like? Just to behold his face. The late Dr. Caesar Clark said the reason there's a rainbow around his shoulder is so that that rainbow might absorb some of the light of his presence so that the saints might get a chance to behold his face. Because no man can look on that purity and live. I've never heard his voice like Abraham or Jacob or Moses or Elijah. I've never been behind the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the Most Holy. I've never been enveloped in the Shekinah cloud. But every now and then, sometimes it happens here at Lily Grove, 
Sometimes it happens in my house by myself. Sometimes it happens when I'm riding in the car. Sometimes I'm just sitting down outside thinking about where he's brought me from, how many doors he's opened for me, how many prayers he's answered, how many tears he's dried, and it feels like heaven right where I'm sitting. Somebody in here this morning has felt God's presence in your life because God's been good to you. I need somebody who ain't playing this morning. I need somebody who is for real this morning. Mama is gone and daddy is gone, but when my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. I need somebody here who's had your back up against the wall and God provided enough space between your back and the wall. You can testify he's a way maker. I need somebody here look like you'd never stop crying. But the Lord dried your tears. The Lord made your enemy your footstool. The Lord set joy bells ringing in your heart. This joy that I have. The world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. Listen, you don't have to have a job to have joy. You don't have to have a new house to have joy. You don't have to have new shoes to have joy. You just start thinking about the goodness of Jesus. Think about all God has done and all that God will do. He picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet, on solid ground. I've never been to heaven, but I've been told that the streets up there are paved with gold. Is there anybody here? I said, is there anybody here? Every now and then, it doesn't happen every day, it doesn't happen every hour, but every now and then, that's a blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a forte of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I've been purchased by God. I'm born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. I'm watching and I'm waiting. I'm looking above. I'm filled with his goodness. I'm lost in his love. You can help me say it. This is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. I don't have to have money to praise him. I don't need no friends around me to praise him when I think about how much he loves me. Jesus loves me. 
Yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. If nobody else loves me in Houston, Jesus loves me. If nobody else loves you at Lily Grove, Jesus loves you. If nobody else is on your side, Jesus loves you. That's his glory. Let me talk a minute about his greatness. Jesus is you, 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 don't, you don't have to wait till the battle is over. You go ahead and shout right now. You got my permission. Get in the aisle and just shout right now. Because God's been good to us. His glory. Glory to his name. Glory. 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 Glory to his name. That's his glory. Let me say a word. Let me say a word about his greatness. Jesus' otherworldly appearance is underlined by the presence with him of two well-known inhabitants who are already in heaven. Now that, that ought to cause you to get happy for this reason. Moses, who had been dead over 1,500 years, and Elijah, who never died, were there not merely as a symbol of the law and prophecy, but because they were standing with and talking to the fulfillment of law and prophecy. Now here's the point I want to make. Moses has been dead 1,500 years. But he's been an inhabitant in heaven. So when you and I die, they put our body in the grave. But we go be with the Lord. Because absent from the Bible, I wish I had a Bible reader, is present with the Lord. If Moses was still in the grave, he wouldn't have been on a mountain. Um, the the symbolism, these two men symbolized the coming of the messianic age. 
and their conversation with Jesus marks him out the more clearly as the Messiah who has come as the climax of the eschatological role of Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah come with law and prophecy, but the fulfillment of the law is with them. The meaning of prophecy is in their midst. So now Moses and Elijah fall back because Jesus comes forward. Moses and Elijah came to exalt the greatness of Jesus and to reveal to the disciples and to us that Jesus was who he claimed to be. But Peter just had to say something. Somebody gonna help me preach here in a minute. If Peter would have just hushed and worshipped, but but the only time Peter is taking his foot out of his mouth is when he's putting his other foot in his mouth. Peter just had to say something. He said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Now, Peter's words taken in context from the scripture are not theological, but utilitarian and unitarian. Because when he says, Lord, it's good to be here, if he had stopped right there, that would have been good enough. But he said, let us. And when you're in the presence of God, you never say, let us. Because there's nothing us ought to ever do in the presence of the living God but give him thanks and praise. Peter said, Lord, it's good to be here. Let us build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Now, the Shekinah cloud had already come down and not overshadowed, but enveloped not just Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, but Peter, James, and John were in the cloud with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And when Peter said, it's good to be here, let's build three tabernacles, there were six in the cloud, but a seventh spoke up. And the seventh who spoke up said, wait a minute. You don't put Jesus in the category with Moses. You, you don't put Jesus in the category with Elijah because to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus, that means they're all on the same level. But Jesus and Moses and Elijah are not on the same level. Jesus is in a class. Somebody ought to help me preach it. And when you come in the presence of God, you ought to come in here with your head bowed down. Leave your ego in the car. 
Leave your college education in the car. Leave your bank account at home. Because when you come in the presence of the living God, he's the only great one in here. He's the only one going all over the universe running into himself. He's the only one able to talk about death in the past tense. He's the only one who can say this morning, I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. Have I got a witness here? You and I think we are somebody because we might be sitting next to somebody who is not as much as we are, but when you stand next to Jesus, I wish I had two or three more witnesses. And stop introducing yourself and stop promoting yourself and stop Facebooking yourself and stop branding yourself. Because listen, once we meet Jesus, we ain't impressed with nobody else. He's the God of gods. He's the prince of princes. Have I got a witness? He's the king of kings. He's the lord of glory. Distinctive in supernatural capacity. Superlative in sovereign majesty. Exclusive in spiritual beauty. Radiant in eternal splendor. Matchless in supernal deity. He's the God of gods. I wish I had two or three more witnesses. Adam's redeemer. Abel's vindicator. Abraham's sacrifice. Noah's ark. Moses' bush on fire. Joshua's battle axe. Gideon's fleece, Samson's power, David's music, Solomon's wisdom, Jeremiah's bomb in Gilead, Ezekiel's wheel in the middle of a wheel, Mary's baby boy, James and Jude's older brother, Matthew's king, Mark's suffering servant, Luke's great physician, John's word made flesh, Acts coming of the Holy Ghost, he's God by himself. Great and greatly to be praised. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. I'm trying to get through here. The world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the sea, established it upon the flood. Who shall ascend? To the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in the holy place? He that had clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul under vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, but he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift up your head, O ye gates. And be lifted up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in the battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be lifted up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this? King of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The seventh person heard Peter make that statement. Talking about Bill, 
three tabernacles and put Moses in one and Elijah in one and Jesus in another. The Lord God himself spoke again on the mountain of transfiguration like he spoke at the river of Jordan. Not Moses. Not Elijah. This one right here. This is my beloved son. In him, I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. I'm really through this time. I've said that about four times, but I'm really through this time. We've seen his glory. Hopefully I've shown you his greatness. But I want you to see now his grace. When the cloud leaves, Jesus is left alone with his disciples. And it is then that they get afraid. And Jesus puts his hand on them. He touches them. And he says to them, be not afraid. Thank God. There are times when his touch becomes our reality. He, he touched the disciples. And his touch can drive away fear. His touch can sever the tendrils of doubt. His touch can unlock the bars of worry. And his touch can liberate a soul on the edge of disaster. Because when they get down there, there's a man whose son is suffering with epileptic seizures. He falls in the water and he falls in the fire. And the Bible says he brings his boy to the nine disciples who did not get to the mountain. And they could not cure him. On the mountain, there's worship. In the valley, there's witness. Sunday morning is about a rush and a high. Monday morning is about slowing it down and telling somebody, let me talk to you about a man named Jesus. Oh yeah, come here Sunday morning, shout, run all over the place. But Monday morning, the Lord don't care about how high you jump Sunday morning. How straight are you going to walk Monday morning? Jesus saw that and he said, oh faithless and perverse generation. How long do I have to put up with you? And the question this morning, Lily Grove, how long are you going to sit in these pews and worship and not go out of this church and witness? How long are you going to sit in this church and shout and not go outside this church and help somebody who's in need? How long are you going to get dressed up on Sunday morning to look churchy and then Monday morning people can't ever tell that you've been in church on Sunday morning? Jesus said, 
bring him here. He brought that boy to Jesus. Jesus cured him of the, of the epilepsy, of the demonic possession. And the Bible says from that day, from that hour, he was cured. And then the disciples pulled Jesus aside because they didn't want the other people to know they couldn't do it. They said, Jesus, let me holler at you a minute. We were there when you turned water to wine. We were there when you raised Peter's mother-in-law. We saw you feed two fish with five loaves. And a matter of fact, in chapter 10 of Matthew, you told us that we would be able to do the same thing. And that man brought his son to us, and, and, and we twisted, and we shouted, we spoke in tongues, we fell out, we sweated, we took out Reverend Anderson's big long handkerchief, we did everything we could think about doing. We did the holy dance, we did the, the electric slide, we did the, the, the boogaloo. They played music, we shouted, we danced, nothing happened. Why, here it is, couldn't we do it? You missed that. couldn't we do it? Self-centeredness guarantees failure. Because if you try to do it, it'll never get done. But in the name of Jesus, Demons tremble. Wish I had somebody to help me preach here. Souls are saved. Lives are turned around. Not if we do it. But if we do it in his name. I'm through. This is the fifth time. I'm for, for real. I'm through. But there is an antithetical interdependence between the Mount of Transfiguration and Mount Calvary. There's a paradoxical incongruency and antithetical interdependency between the Mountain of Transfiguration and Mount Calvary. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was revealed in glory. At Mount Calvary, he is revealed in ignominy and shame. On the mountain of transfiguration, his clothes are shining white. At Mount Calvary, his clothes are stained with blood. Because Isaiah 63 says, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, having trodden the wine press alone. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he is flanked by two of Israel's greatest figures, Moses and Elijah. At Mount Calvary, he's flanked by two criminals, 
one on his right hand and the other on his left. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the Shekinah cloud envelops the scene. At Mount Calvary, darkness covers the land from the sixth to the ninth hour. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter cries out, Lord, it's good for us to be here. At Mount Calvary, he's hiding because he's denied him three times. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice of God declares, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. At Mount Calvary, stricken with amazement, a centurion soldier said, surely, this must be the Son of God. Between worship and witness, I want to know from you, what are you going to say? We've heard what the centurion said. What are you going to say? If God has brought you, if God's spirit has quickened you, if God has made you alive with the Holy Spirit's presence and power, that's something you got to say. Isaiah helps me right here because Isaiah said it was in the year that King Isaiah died. I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple and the house was filled with smoke and seraphim with six wings. They covered their face and they covered their feet and they did fly. And, and Isaiah said, when I saw that vision, I said, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But then the angel took live coal from off the altar and put it on Isaiah's lips. And he says, your sins are forgiven and your iniquity is purged. Here it is. You can't say something till you see something. And then once you see something, you got to hear something. Because it was only when he saw God that he heard God saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? After his lips had been singed, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. 